Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. This is God's holy word. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Amen. And we thank God for this reading of his holy word. If you'll open your Bible to Genesis chapter 1, you may want to follow along. And again, it is a great privilege to be with you. Thank you so much for coming out on this warm Sunday evening to consider what God would say to us. And I'm grateful for the chance to be with you. When I was 10 years old, I had what I would call now a great privilege. I didn't call it a privilege then. My father worked on the railroad, and the railroad was going on strike. Do you use that expression here? Yeah, okay, you know what a strike is. They were going on strike, and they knew it was going to be a long strike during the summer months. And so my mother and father decided that rather than wasting that whole summer, that my dad and I would add a room to our house. We worked from sunrise to sunset every day that entire summer building that room. It was, I learned a lot doing that, but you can imagine for a 10-year-old that was a rather miserable summer, yes? There I was working on it. Well, when my mom would leave every morning to go to work, she would just say one thing to us. All I care is that this room doesn't look like it was added to the house. So those were our marching orders, and we worked very hard to make sure that room was just perfect, that the windows aligned just perfectly, that the brickwork matched, that the floors were even. Oh, we, had, we worked so hard on it. It was unbelievable. And so she'd come home every evening, and we want to show her everything we had done, and she would say, I don't care, I don't care. All I care is that it doesn't look like it was added to the house. Now, as hard as we worked, and we worked every single day with that as our goal, I can guarantee you that if you drove past my parents' house today, it would take you about two seconds before you would say, that room was added to that house. Because unless you're a master architect and a master builder, if you add a room to your house, it looks like it was added to the house, and it always looks like it. You can tell it really wasn't a part of the original floor plan. It was just something that they stuck on the edge of it. And I bring that up because I think in many ways, faithful Christians, sincere followers of Jesus, can go their whole lives thinking that 
the mission that Jesus gave us is like a room that you add to your life. Do you see back here what it says here? Going into all the world. You know that's what Christianity believes, that that Jesus gave his disciples a mission, and the mission was to take the good news about him to every corner of the earth. But let's just face it. Uh, when, when, When we look at our lives, we think in terms of our lives having this plan, this floor plan of essential things. Oh, there are things like making sure you get a good job and making sure you raise your family, making sure that your retirement is in order and that your pension is secure, uh, taking care of your health. Uh, You can name a number of things like that that you say, now this is a part of my life. And if I ever get those things straight enough, then I'll involve myself in mission. If I ever get the essential things of the Christian life straightened out enough, then I'll talk to my neighbor about Jesus. I'll involve myself in some kind of special effort to spread the good news of Jesus. I'll give money to it. In fact, if I get enough money to take care of myself. And that's because in many respects, let's just be honest about it. This thing called the mission, we often treat it as if it is a room added to our house the house of our lives. Uh, It's nice to have an extra house, but you know, you can get away. You can get along just fine without it. But I think when you look at the Bible, what you discover is, is that the mission is actually a part of that original floor plan. The original floor plan of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, but it's even more essential than that. It's so essential that it is actually the original floor plan of what it means to be a human being. And I think everybody in the room here qualifies for that. Anyone bring their pets with them today? No? Okay, so here we are. We're about to find out what the essential, basic, fundamental floor plan is for every single person in this room. And it's going to be this, that God put us on this earth on mission now if you've been around the Christian faith much at all you have heard the words that were read earlier from Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 and following and what I'd like for us to do tonight in the few moments we have together is just to start off by by noticing first what God calls you and me What God calls you and me. Look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And again in verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, I hope you're good Presbyterians, because if you are, then you're going to understand what I'm about to say. Uh, We tend to have almost a reaction, a reflexive action when we think about people. I mean, if I were to say to you, what's the first thought that comes to mind when I say human being? Almost reflexively, we're going to say, I know, I know, sinners. Now, if you have any doubt that you're a sinner, let me just tell you, you and I are sinners. You don't have to be an axe murderer to be a sinner. All you have to be is just a little less than perfect, and that's everybody in the room. 
But do you know what makes the fact that you and I have been affected by sin significant? It's the fact that we're something else as well. The image and the likeness of God. I have the best dog in the world. She's about this big. And we got her from my mother when my mother passed. And her name is Princess. And she is. She is the most perfect dog in the world. I can guarantee it. If she were here, you'd fall in love with her in about two seconds. But princesses affected by sin. I hate to tell you this. Princess is selfish and princess wants things her way and princess doesn't like to obey and she just doesn't do everything just right. She's not that perfect after all. But there's something about princess as much as I love her. Princess will never pay for her sins and princess will never be redeemed from her sins. And that's what makes you and me different. Why are we held accountable for the things that we do? It's because we're not dogs and cats. We're not birds. We're not animals. What we are is human beings. And why is it that it's possible to be saved from your sins and to have everlasting life through Jesus? It's because you're a human being, not an animal. But when God first spoke about us, As far as we know, the very first words God ever said about you and me, right here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, what he said was this. He didn't say, I got this great idea. Let's make some sinners. He didn't say, no, it's even better than that. Let's start them off one way and let them become sinners. That's not what it says here in this passage, is it? What he said is, I got this great idea. Let's make the image and the likeness of God. Now, that expression, image of God, if, if you've been around the Christian faith much, you already knew that people are, yes, sinners, but they're also the image and the likeness of God. We, we sort of know that. Of course, if I pass a piece of paper around tonight and ask everyone to write down on it, what does it mean to be the image of God? We'd have as many answers as there are people in the room, wouldn't we? Because it's one of those things we talk about, we throw it out as if we all knew exactly what it meant, but... There's a lot of confusion. And there are lots of things that could be said about what it means to be the image of God. But to understand what Moses meant in this passage, as he's writing to ancient Israel, you have to get in a time machine with me. A time machine and go back way in time. So let's go back. I mean way back to the days of ziggurats and pyramids. You know, the days of Charlton Heston and Yul Brynner, those guys. Those of you who know that Ten Commandments movie, that world, okay? The days of Yul Brynner. And you might be surprised to know this, but Israel, Moses, was not the first man in the world, the first group of people in the world, to speak of the image and the likeness of God. They spoke of the image of God, the likeness of God, the sons of the gods. They spoke of them in Babylon. They spoke of them in Assyria. They spoke of them in Canaan. They even spoke of them in Egypt. It was a common expression in the ancient world of the Bible. But in all the cultures surrounding Israel, there was only one person in society who could rightly be called the image of God, the likeness of God, the son of the gods. Can you guess who that was? Only one, Yul Brynner. 
the king, the emperor, the pharaoh. He's the image and likeness of God. He's special. Nobody else. Now, it's not hard to understand why they called kings the images of God and the likeness of the gods or the son of the gods. It's because kings in the ancient world believed, much like politicians do today, that they were God's gift to humanity, okay? Don't they believe that even in your country? Yeah. Because they thought that this was the role of a king. This was the role of an emperor. This is the task of a pharaoh. It was this. It was to learn the will of the gods in heaven and make it happen on the earth. They were to represent heaven and make the earth the kind of place that they wanted it to be up there in heaven. And so you can see here that Moses knowing what people believed about this in his day, is actually saying something very radical here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. He's saying that it's not true that just the Pharaoh or just the emperor or just the king is the image and likeness of God. He's saying all of the human race is the image and the likeness of God. That you are as important to the plan of God as any king or queen that has ever lived on this planet. That you're that significant, that you have that kind of dignity, that kind of importance, that kind of central role in the history of the world. And what is that role? It is to learn the will of God in heaven and make it happen on the earth. Welcome to being a human being. Can you imagine anything more glorious than that? That that's who you are? It must have been hard for the Israelites hearing this from Moses to have accepted it. I mean, after all, they were, they were former slaves in Egypt. And they had been propagandized by the Egyptians for years and years and years. Being told, you're nothing. You're worthless. Your life doesn't matter. What actually matters is the Pharaoh. What actually matters is the king. He's the image of God and you're much, much less than that. You know it was hard for them because it's hard for you and me to believe what the Bible is saying. I mean, we all know important people, don't we? People who are more important than we are. You know, the people you see on television, the people you see in movies, the people who have great wealth, the people who have wonderful influence, the politicians and the leaders of the world. I mean, I think of myself and I think of my own president. And as I think about him, you know, I say to myself, you know, I really don't want him to have a headache. I mean, can you imagine the decisions he'd make with a headache? I don't want him to have a sinus infection. No way. I don't want him and his wife to have a big fight tonight. And at the end of the argument, he says, oh, yeah, you don't like that? Well, watch what happens when I hit this red button. Uh Uh-uh. You don't want that to happen to a great leader of the world do you a powerful person no because if they make those choices um makes a big difference doesn't it but what about you there's someone in here tonight who has a headache take a pill there's someone in here who probably has a sinus infection given the kind of weather you have around here (laughs) 
Go see the doctor. If you have the flu tonight, you should have stayed at home. And you know, if you go home tonight and you have a big argument with your spouse, if you can find a button to push, nothing's going to happen. Nothing. And when you look at your life that way, it's so easy to think, for that reason, I really have no role in this world that's of any significance at all. And if that's what you believe about yourself, you are right where the evil one wants you to be. Believing that your choices don't matter. Believing that the decisions you make at work are really not significant. That the things you do in your home, the way you treat the people who live with you, the way you talk with your neighbors, well, I'm so insignificant, it doesn't really make any difference. If that is what you believe about yourself, then you will waste your life away. Why do you think so many in the UK are drowning themselves in alcohol? Why do you think they're numbing themselves with illicit drugs? Why do you think that they are so attracted to the erotica that surrounds you every single day? It's because they're running from this fear that they do not matter. And if you're tempted to feel that way about yourself, I have good news for you. From the very beginning, the first thing that God ever said about you is that you are the image and the likeness of God. And your life matters as much as any king or queen or world leader that has ever existed on this planet. I kind of like that. It's good news to me because I'm the kind of person that looks at my life and I'm so old now, it's going to be over in a week or two anyway. And I look back on it and say, is that all there is? Is that what this is all about? I mean, have I just done it all? And Don't you feel that way about your life sometimes? And those of you who are younger than me, which is a lot of people in the room tonight, don't you look at your future and wonder, will it ever amount to anything? Will it have any significance at all? It's a glorious thing to know that even though we are sinners... We can come to Christ in faith and give ourselves to him. And from that moment forward, the New Testament tells us that the Holy Spirit conforms us to Christ who is the image and likeness of God. That we are restored from sin as the image and likeness of God. Your life matters. Your life can mean something dramatic in this world if you become a follower of Jesus and embrace the call that God has given you. Can you imagine how your family would be different if you treated each other that way? Wives, wouldn't it be wonderful if your husbands treated you as the image and the likeness of God? Husbands, wouldn't it be great if your wives treated you that way? Children, wouldn't it be magnificent if your parents treated you like the image and the likeness of God and parents wouldn't it be grand if your children treated you that way 
It can be life transformative if you will hear what God says about you. While the world tells you you are nothing, you are worthless, you're going to amount to nothing, you have no significance in this universe, while the world says that to you every day, almost every moment, hear what God says. You are my image. But you know, sometimes you can have a great job title like image of God or whatever it may be. And when you get the job, it actually turns out to be not so great after all. I, I had that experience. I was teaching guitar in a music studio in my local town and as a high school student. And I was getting ready to go off to college and needed money. So I asked the owner of this studio, I said, can I have a full-time job this summer? He said, sure, sure, of course. We like you, fine. And I said, well, uh, what will the job be? And he said, well, I don't know. How about you'll be the assistant to the owner? Now, when you're 17, assistant to the owner sounds very good. When you're 17, you think that means that when he leaves the office, you get to sit in his chair and put your feet up on his desk like he did. But I found out about two or three days later that being the assistant to the owner really meant that I had to do everything everybody else didn't want to do. Uh, the windows need cleaning. Rich will do that. The toilets need cleaning. Rich will do that. We have a grand piano that we need delivered up a flight of stairs by one person. Rich will do that too. Yes, I've delivered grand pianos up flights of stairs all by myself. Um, there's an old clip that some of you will know from the silent movies where Laurel and Hardy have that piano they're pushing up the stairs and it goes crashing down. Do you remember that? I've done that with a grand piano. Fell to pieces. It was amazing. Well, it was a great job title, but it was a horrible job. I can tell you in the hot summer, hmm, I don't want to do that again. But I have some really great news about this job title, Image of God. The job is just as amazing. What you do as the image of God is just as astonishing. And you can see it in verse 28. God blessed them. You see, I told you it was good. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule. Image of God, what are you supposed to do? Be fruitful. Multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it, and rule. A lot of times people have a misconception of what the Bible says about the beginning. And the beginning, the original condition of the earth. The, they think that the whole earth was just this wonderfully perfect place. A paradise from end to end. But when you look at the Bible a little more carefully, you discover there was a place that was magnificent. A paradise a great land called Eden with a paradise garden inside of it, a holy garden inside of it where God himself would come and reveal himself in his visible glory called the Garden of Eden. But the rest of the world had a lot of work that needed to be done. That's why God says, I want you to be fruitful and multiply and fill the whole earth. I want you to subdue the whole earth. I want you to have dominion or to rule over the entire earth. Because God's purpose for this planet was not that his visible presence would be in one place, that his glory would fill one little garden, but rather 
that the world would be such a magnificent place, so holy, so perfect, so sanctified, so beautiful that it would be appropriate for God himself to fill the entire planet with his glory. And whom did God place in the position of making the earth like that? You and me. You and me. We read earlier from Revelation, where you hear the end of the story, where actually it all works out, and the earth is filled with the glory of God. We sang that. Did you see that? Sounds like nice religious talk up here when you sing it. Sometimes we don't pay attention to what we sing. That through the church, the earth will be filled with the glory of God. That was the purpose God had for this planet from the very beginning. It was a showcase. It's where he would demonstrate that he is the supreme creator king over all by filling the entire earth with his glory through the human race, through the image of God. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule. Now, almost every person who's acquainted with the Bible knows that the Bible says this, that this is what God commissioned the human race to do. But, you know, let's just be truthful about it for a moment. As little as those words mean to us, I may as well have said those words to you in Spanish. We know it's in the Bible, but does it really touch your life? Does it really guide your life as to what you do with your short time on this planet? I mean, think about it this way. When you go to a party and you're meeting new people and you're introducing yourself around the room and you're shaking hands and you know, you know the inevitable question at some point. Someone's going to ask you, well, what do you do? Well, when was the last time you put your hand out, shook someone's hand, they said, what do you do? And you say, I'm fruitful and multiply. How's that going for you? Oh, oh yeah, I have dominion over the earth. You doing that too? Of course not. That's ridiculous. That would be the last thing that we would say. You'd say anything but that. Well, I don't do anything but sit around. I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm a pastor, I'm this, I'm that. Whatever it may be, you choose anything except, I know what I do, I'm fruitful and multiply. I fill the earth, I subdue it, I have dominion, I rule. That's how foreign those words are to our practical lives. Is that it's practically the last thing that would come to our lips. And so, should we be surprised that many of us wonder, why am I breathing? Why do I live? What's my purpose when you and I so readily ignore what God himself said about us? It's a very important way very important sense in which all of us ought to be able to look at our lives and categorize it according to what God said. 
What we do according to what God said. Well, then what did he say? You can, you can take these words, be fruitful, multiply. You can, you can go on and on about them, but let's just gather them into two things. Two big tasks that have been given to us. Two glorious tasks. The first thing that God said to Adam and Eve in the beginning was this. I want there to be more of you. In fact, when he looked at Adam without Eve, and he's, you know what his reaction was, it's not good for Adam to be alone. Need to be more of you. In fact, I want there to be so many of you that you fill the world up. So multiplying more servants of God was what Adam and Eve were told to do in the beginning. Devote yourself to that. The second thing that God tells Adam and Eve to do is I want you to fill the earth, subdue it, and rule. In effect, what that means is I put you here to make the world the kind of place I want it to be. I want you to make the world the kind of place I want it to be. And so is it any wonder then that Christian mission aligns with this? It always has. That we seek to make more servants of God and we seek to make the world the kind of place God wants it to be with schools, with hospitals. This is why we live. This is why you live. I don't know about you. I know I'm weird. I know I'm strange in many ways, but it's not unusual for me to get up in the morning and sit on the edge of the bed and ask myself, why should I breathe again? Most people keep breathing in the morning because they're afraid of the alternative. I'm not afraid of the alternative. I've been near it many times. It doesn't frighten me at all, the thought of death. And so when I get up in the morning, it's not unusual for me to sit there and go, hmm, is it really worth it? What am I supposed to be doing? I need a reason to breathe on this planet. I need a reason. And I suspect that most of you do too. And here it is. To multiply more servants of God and to make the world the kind of place God wants it to be. Now, when Adam and Eve first heard these words, it would have been a relatively easy thing for them to do. They would have had babies who would do the image of God thing and they'd have babies who do the image of God thing and they have babies who do the image of God thing and they fill up the world and the world becomes this sanctified, wonderful place. Game over. The glory of God fills the earth, right? Relatively easy. Something happened. Do you remember what it is? Uh, It starts with an S, it ends with an N and I'm right in the middle of it like you. Yeah, sin came into the world. But I want us to see something here and that is that Sin did not create our mission. Our mission did not start with the entry of sin into the world. So that we can reduce it down to, well, I better believe in Jesus and be saved from my sins. And maybe I can get one or two other people to believe in Jesus and be saved from their sins. No. Now, sin complicated it, to be sure. Sin complicated our mission in some remarkable ways. So that now, you don't just have babies. Now, we all know the McClanahans have taken care of that anyway, right? (laughs) Had to do it. 
your boys told me to do it, okay? They said, you got to find something to say about dad. All right, I did it. Right, guys? It does involve having children. In fact, when you look at the changes that are happening in your own country, the religious changes that are happening in your own country, a lot of that simply comes from who's having the babies. Do I need to be more explicit about that? But because of sin in the world, we know also that we must raise our children up in the ways of Christ. No wonder then that the Bible emphasizes so much the role that parents have in training and teaching their children the ways of Christ. Because God doesn't want just more people in the world. What he wants is more redeemed servants in the world. And that is our task. And it's also why, it's also why you have things in this church like Exploring Christianity or Christianity Explored. It's why... The next time you have a barbecue in your backyard, that one week when it's warm here, (laughs) it's why you should consider not just inviting your church friends, your cronies, the ones that you know will have a good time with you and agree with you on everything, but it's why you should reach out to the neighbor across the street and invite them when you think they will have nothing to do with you. It's why you and I open our lives to other people And let them know what we believe so that they can hear the truth of Jesus. So that there can be more and more and more and more followers of Christ. That's why we live. That's why we breathe. And all of us in this room tonight ought to be able to put our finger on some way in which We are multiplying redeemed images of God in this world. Grandparents, I know you think your multiplying days are over, but let me just tell you something. There's no one more important to the multiplication of redeemed images than grandparents because grandparents are often the only line of life to those grandchildren. The only way in which they're going to hear the good news of Jesus is from you. Those of you who teach in children's classes in this church, what a privilege because you're multiplying images of God. Those of you who invite your friends to Christianity Explored, what an honor. You're multiplying redeemed images of God. This is why we breathe. But more than that, remember, Adam and Eve were told not simply to multiply. They were told, make the world the kind of place it ought to be. This is why we don't live private lives. Satisfied if everything's going okay with us. This is why you and I are concerned about what's happening to our neighbors. This is why we choose to elect the right politicians. This is why we seek very much to help those who are in need. God wants this world to be a place of mercy and justice, and we are the instruments of this. We are the only people who will stand for those who cannot defend themselves. We are the ones who ought to be concerned about the abuse of human beings in this world. You and I are the ones who have been called by God to do this in the name of Jesus.
So how are you doing at this, this image of God thing? If you're anything like me, you think of your life and you say, well, I'm trying in some ways, but you know, every single day I fail at this. And the story of the Bible is just that. It's a story of how people do some of this okay, but they fail miserably. I mean, this, this, this commission was handed from Adam and Eve over to Father Abraham and the nation of Israel. They were like the A-team of the human race, leading the human race. How did they do? Well, okay in some ways, but in the end, not so well. Jesus, our great Savior and King, became one of us. And even now, as the church of Jesus, can we not admit that we just cannot perfect these tasks? So what's our hope? Is it a failure? Is it a lost cause? Did, did God's purpose, his original floor plan, is it, should we just throw it away and forget it? Well, the wonderful truth is this. What you and I have failed to do, the second person of the Trinity became one of us, and he is accomplishing it himself. For as in by man came death, by a man comes the resurrection of the dead, the Apostle Paul says. What man brings the resurrection from the dead? Jesus. Jesus came. He paid for our sins. Jesus resurrected on the third day so that we could have life in him. Jesus is now ruling over all the earth until all of his enemies are put under his feet. And Jesus is coming back one day to make all things new. And on that day, all of it will belong to him. It will all belong to him because he's the one that did it. But do you know the wonder of it all? When Jesus comes back, he will look at every man and woman and child who has followed him and he will say, this new creation that I have made, it now belongs to you as well. Nothing less than that is worthy of our Jesus. Nothing less than that is worthy of those who follow him. So we can be confident that what God said in the beginning to Adam and Eve will be fulfilled for those who follow Jesus. Now that's the kind of religion I can believe in. That's the kind of faith I can hold on to. That's the kind of faith I can live. And that's the kind of mission I can be a part of. And you can too. When my mother said, I don't want this extra room to look like it was added to the house, we knew what she meant. She didn't want it to be attached to the side. She wanted it to look like it's a part of the original floor plan. And this mission that we have been given as followers of Jesus is not an extra room to be added to your house. It is the original floor plan for you. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, how we bless you and honor you for all you have done on our behalf and for the wonderful gift of being called 
to serve with you in fulfilling the mission of the image of God. Thank you for your mercies. Thank you for this vision. Thank you for the power of Holy Spirit who enables us to participate with you in being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth, subduing it and ruling over it. We give you glory for making us the image of God. Amen.